from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The opinions expressed in the following podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide education and entertainment about the financial industry and the stock market. Enjoy. On this episode of Pennies Going In Raw, Hugh brags about being right on SPY, and we also talk about wearing Speedos to Miami, the newest PR on CEI. Find out life's this game of pennies. Oh, you guys know we only have a 40% runner. Hello? 40% right is a fucking killing. We've been compliant for too long. It's time we go to war. I don't have a Roth. You know so much about the market that his brain doesn't have enough room for grammar. Hey, who told me about IDEX? It's going up a shit ton now. We're up 4%, baby. No way. Four fucking percent. You asked the exact same question with two words <laughs> different. It's like, fuck, man. I just got dick whipped for like... 20%, and now that f***er's up like 50. I bet Warren Buffett never did that. I'm just making this voice memo to call out unusual whales to a fight. The pennies we need are everywhere around us. Pennies. 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 Going in raw. Featuring Dan, Deity of Dips, and Hugh Honey. Produced by Vinny. And Christian. Let's, Let's go, go, baby. Welcome back to another episode of Pennies Going In Raw. Today is Wednesday, September the 22nd, and you said it last week. Uh, everyone's, you know, every, everyone, you know, is trying to take credit for, I've been calling this pullback. Well, yeah, everyone's been calling for a pullback. But you you called it about damn on the money. On Sunday, you said, uh, you know, we probably need something to 435, 430. I think it dipped a little bit below 430 for a little bit on Monday. Uh, now Tuesday, we're seeing it around 434, 435-ish. It's tickling around those areas. But it's got a, it's got a pretty big range right now. Um, but along with that, uh, another thing you said last week or on Sunday was you believe it's going to bounce to all-time highs by the end of September. So that's kind of what you kind of said last week. Do you... How do you feel about what happened yesterday? Do you still feel like those future predictions are true? How, how exactly are you approaching it? And how bad did yesterday suck for you? Yeah, yesterday was tough. Yeah, uh, same. Even, and I even, I mean, we talked about it and it was still tough. 
Uh, so it actually happened faster than I originally thought it would happen. I thought that we would go through this week and closer to today start to flush. I didn't think that we yeah, would Yeah, I, I remember texting our, our podcast group chat and saying, hey, there, there's a level that uh, you talked about on the Sunday episode and it was pre-market. It was like 7.30 in the morning. It was already like 4.36 or whatever. And then, you know, just an hour later after open, you know, it's already down to like 4.30. Yeah. The daily chart on SPY right now is quite interesting because it's just that big gap down. Uh, so it did happen faster than I really thought it would. So I, I really, I, I was planning to put some hedges on and I really didn't even get that opportunity. But you know what? It's fine because at the end of the day, there's a few things that are going on here. One, everybody was talking about China and Evergrande and, and that's, that's what everyone is saying is the real fear behind what happened in the market. I think it was a, I think it was a combination of a few different things being Evergrande. I mean, the hang sign, I'm sorry, I, I totally messed that up, but uh, that, the sang got killed like 15% the one day, you know, uh, and, and at the end of the day, all, all major economies are so tightly wound that if one of them is down even honestly above five percent the other ones are going to take a hit too uh, so i think that that combined with closing underneath the 50 day plus thursday we have the fomc meeting and that that's when the fed's going to talk about if they're going to taper uh you know the federal buying or not and so i think the combination of all those things happening just really gave us like that perfect storm. It was like storm. a bunch of bad chaos all happening at once. And, you know, all thought like all happening right around that rise that breaks the 50 day EMA. All right. So before we kind of get into the rest, and I should have brought this up, you know, before, could you kind of explain, and sorry if I'm butchering the name, the Evergrande, uh, why did that affect our market so much? I know you, what you just said about them all being kind of intertwined, but. Why was that such a big deal for the Chinese markets to begin with? Yeah, so Evergrande is China's largest, like it's not even close, uh, developer in uh, lar chi largest Chinese developer. And I mean, essentially they're broke. Like when you come down to it, they're, they're broke. They think of that like 2008, like they're insolvent. They're, I mean, they're, they're gonna be toast. And why this is important is because a lot of developers take on massive amounts of debt. Just like, really think of it like a bank. They take on massive amounts of debt um, and you know when you can't cover your debt, you're insolvent and you can't pay and you know most of the time you go bankrupt. But again, it comes back to, for all my fans out there, too big to fail. You know, it comes back to that. You know, if, if the largest property develop, if the largest Chinese developer goes down, it, it could probably bring down the banks. And I, I mean, not only does it bring down the banks, but then, you know, who pays for the mortgages? You know, do they go bankrupt? Do you kick the people out? There's so many, it's not, nobody really cares about Evergrande. Nobody cares about Evergrande. It's the shock effect out that really matters. Um, so, I mean, nobody, what they're saying is that nobody can really put a number on how much Evergrande um, owes, but <laughs> inside USD, it's, it, it, it's basically uh, estimated around a few hundred billion. <laughs> I mean, think about that. The one, prop, one property developer owns a few hundred billion 
USD. So again, it's really not so much Evergrande. Nobody cares about Evergrande. It's the shock effects, you know, because on balance sheets, the way that the banks and, and other people can, you know, the banks and the uh, creditors can put it on their balance sheet as this is money owed to them. Okay. So it's not a sunken cost, but if Evergrande goes bankrupt, well, that now becomes a sunken cost, which then brings, I mean, which then destroys the balance sheets. Because again, we're not talking about a billion dollars. A billion dollars would hurt, but we're talking about hundreds of billions. Like we truly don't know the number. This comes back to when we think about the 2008 housing market, you know, everybody always talks about uh, the bazooka, okay? And the reason that, that they called it a bazooka and they didn't put a number on it was because they truly didn't know the 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 number and this is kind of like whatever grande this is um i mean this is pretty much where they're at uh they're the largest and i mean i i'm i'm trying to put in i'm trying to put this in perspective of how large this is but when you think about it ever grande okay would bring down the would bring down a few chinese banks but the thing is that some of these chinese banks you know, everybody does, uh, all the banks do uh, hold international business. So then you have like this shock absorber that be, Evergrande is like the eye of the storm and it goes to the banks, which then goes international banks. And again, if you think about it, is that I wouldn't be shocked if a few of these larger Chinese banks end up coming down with Evergrande because again, there's, they don't know the number. They don't know how big this is. This is a few hundred billion, but does that mean, I mean, a hundred billion would suck. 400 billion would be bringing down whole entire banks. So the question is, is that do, does the Chinese government, uh, does the Chinese government bail out the banks? Do they bail out Evergrande or do they just let the pieces fall? I mean, that's really where we're at. We're, in, we're kind of inside this limbo. So, and, and because everybody does international work together, um, you know, that's, that's why all the markets across the board were hit. Now, everybody's been speculating this would happen for a pretty long time. So <clears throat> it's not really one of those things. Like if this had really, truly come out of nowhere, uh, I mean, <laughs> Sang would be down probably 30%. Um, you know, the U the R index, the Na the da the excuse me, the NAS and the Dow would be down, you know, probably 5% minimum, 6% minimum. Um, but again, this was kind of known that this was coming. So it, it really wasn't a shock to anybody that, that, paid attention, you know, macro. Uh, Evergrande, if you guys want to read a really good report, The Last Bear STA1 on Twitter put, puts together this long thread. I didn't have time to read the entire thing, but um, it seems like he pretty much knows his stuff. And, you know, it, Evergrande for years has kind of known this was coming and that they were over leveraged. So <clears throat> to that perspective, I personally think somebody has to get bailed out. I'm not, I don't think it'll be Evergrande because I just think they're too big to fail, that they have to fail. But I think that some of the banks that um, own a lot of, you know, that, uh, that Evergrande owes a lot to, I believe that they will probably be, be bailed out, mostly because I think they have to be. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. It, it'll be really interesting. Now, the other part to this is SPY. Okay, SPY got kind of killed on uh, on Monday. 
we're seeing a pretty good bounce back, or, or I don't want to say a bounce back, but we're seeing, you know, kind of levels taper off and kind of chill. VIX is at 24 as we're talking about this, which is late day Tuesday. Um, <clears throat> if VIX gets underneath 21, I, I would say that that our that the thesis that we put together that we would see this retrace retrace back down to 430 and then pinball to all time highs. If VIX goes underneath 21 and the Fed says that they're not going to taper, then I think we're we're back at all time highs by the end of the month, maybe first week of October. So this a lot of what our market does, it, a lot of what SPY is going to do depends on how China handles this. Uh, I I wouldn't necessarily I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's how China handles it, but there will be a reaction depending on how China handles it, it and or if they don't handle it. Um, yeah. If they do, if they do come out and say that they're going to bail out the banks or they're going to bail out Evergrande, then I expect. It, it, now let's let's just imagine this scenario. Let's just say that they come out and they say that they're going to bail out Evergrande, um, and all at the same time the Fed says that they're not going to taper, you know, buying. I mean, we we would gap up. I think. I mean, we would gap up because that just it takes out the unknown. Okay, hope and fear sells. Okay, and a lot of times, so if you take out the fear of Evergrande failing and you take out the fear of the tapering, then I I mean, I think that we would gap well, up. Now it's like, well, it's already failed and the market's done what it did. And now it's, you know, going to do, you know, and it's already kind of rebounding a little. So has America, has the American market already said, hey, this happened. Now let's move on with what we do. Yeah, pretty much. It comes down to like the 24 hour news cycle. Now, <clears throat> the untangling of all this, of Evergrande, will take some time, but it, it'll be how China, how the Chinese government reacts to it inside the short term. You know, like if they come, they, they don't need to have a plan right now, but it's going to be if they come out, it, it, there's two ways that they could take this. They could take it and come out and say, hey, we're going to untangle this for the next few, you know, let's, like let's say till the end of the year, um, but we're definitely not going to bail them out. Okay, there's that, there's that way. Okay, and then there's the other way that says, again, we're going to take the next quarter to, to you know, see what's up and uh, untangle this mess. But we've already discussed a potential bailout or a potential intervene, intervening of uh, Evergrande. Then, you know, again, then, then that would be probably a good thing. Um, so I do think I do think that there's still an initial reaction that needs to come in. Uh, and based on that, SPY will react. But overall, I, I think that now this the you know now that the news is broke and it's out there that you know as long as they don't say like yeah it's nine hundred billion or something crazy like I think I think I saw some other things out there like uh, they're estimating around two hundred to three hundred billion something like that USD if it's something like seven hundred eight hundred billion that I mean that would be and and they say that they're not going to bail anybody out. Yeah, I mean, then we would get hit again for sure. Can you think of any uh, super bullish sentiment for the market that doesn't involve something bad ending? Yeah, I mean, I think for pretty much. See, the thing that, that really scared a lot of people was that, <laughs> and, and this is where, I mean, we can get into this, but the the fed so the people that work for the fed had sold all of their stocks 2 weeks ago or something and they had said that because of because they didn't want to be in conflict they sold all of their stocks uh again the market's up how much 
how how big of a percentage is that the last 16 months? Uh, so it's kind of interesting that now they say that they don't want to be you know in inside a conflict. Um, so they sell now. So between that and the Fed meeting happening Tuesday or Thursday, excuse me, uh, I think it really scared people. And then you took Evergrande, and that was like the the cherry on top. So I think that pretty much if they say that they're not going to taper anything, then uh, I mean that would be pretty bullish because that's what I think it, everybody's scared of right now is that um, you know if, if they come out and they say that they you know interest rates are rising that they're going to taper spending then. Yeah, then that that would then the market would get hit. But inside the same token, I almost feel like that's kind of starting to get priced in, and people are expecting that. So that if they don't taper and uh, and they don't raise interest rates, then people will then you know it almost be seen as like a bullish surprise. From BBC Radio Four, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my god. We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So yesterday I saw Bloomberg tweet something, uh, and you even responded to it. It said, J.P. Morgan strategist said today's sell-off is technically driven and therefore represents a buying opportunity. Basically saying, hey, you look at technicals, uh, stocks dip, you buy them, that's good. That's, you know, does it just seem like they're kind of just being like, hey, little retail traders, buy the dip. You know, you guys are always saying buy the dip. Now you should buy the dip. Yeah, I think that is such bullshit. Like that made that made me so mad um, because it's one of those things where, like, I feel like, like I just want to look up at them and be like, "Do you think I'm fucking stupid? Like, do I look that stupid to you? Like, it, it's." I don't know. It just it makes me mad when when it's one of those things where you can just black and white like this is why the market's down, especially when you have something like Evergrande going on. Um, you know, you have Evergrande going on, and you have the Fed. You know, you have the Fed fear monger mongering uh, on Thursday. It's like one of those things where it's like, oh, J.P. Morgan strategy says buy the dip. Okay, I'll buy the dip. Like it, it's just one of those things that pisses me off when it's like, oh you know, buy the dip. It's just technically driven. You know, it, it's not, it has nothing to do with the Fed, Fed meeting on Thursday. It has nothing to do with the, the fact that Chinese, Chinese banks m- might be crippling. It, it, like it just, it just makes me so mad that, that this is allowed to happen. And it's really, you know, of course you're not going to name the, the strategist, but it's one of those things where it's like, I just can't believe that this is allowed to be said inside the open market. That's like, that's like someone on a small cap coming out uh you know when earnings report is down 70 percent and saying oh this is just a slight hiccup inside the uh the, this is actually bullish it, it, the um revenue being down 60 percent like it's just like 
Like it's it's because I say so. That's what that's what they're saying. Because I say so, the market's gonna go back up. I, I just think it's such bullshit, and it's like one of those things where it's like, do you think I'm that fucking stupid? It just do makes you, me mad. Do you think there are? Do they expect this to have any effect on the market? Like you you know what I'm saying? Like who? What what investor like has enough money that is like actually taking that as sound advice? Saying you know. It's probably more for their clients, like if their clients are watching the news or something and uh, they see yeah, the market yeah, 6% okay. off highs. That's probably what it, that's what I would guess. Like it's probably not like, yo, Dan and you buy the dip bitches. Like that's, yeah. uh, it's probably more like, hey, Mr. Mr. Wilson who has, you know, 50 million with Chase, uh, you know, don't you worry. You know, this is just a technical this is just a technical flush, you know, go back to working hard and giving us your money. Uh, that's probably what it is, but it just pisses me off because it, it's like, it, it's like I, we can't think for ourselves. Like, that's what I hate that. I, I hate that. Like I'm, I'm nowhere near the smartest person in the world, but if you think that I don't know at the fed meeting on Thursday, scaring people that Evergrande is not a pile of shit, uh, it, it, like, it's just annoying. It's more like, dude, like, a, a, it's just annoying. Like I can't think for myself. Yeah. I don't think it's ethical. I don't think it's ethical personally. Okay. Well, going um, forward, you kind of mentioned like you had this bullish sentiment heading forward and you kind of talked about what was necessary for it to, you know, continue forward. So you're still thinking potentially 455 if everything plays out properly by the end of the month. Yeah. Yeah. I really think that we're not that. Okay. So I really think that it's going to depend on Thursday's Fed meeting. If the Fed says that, that they are not doing anything differently. I mean, yeah, no, no problem at all. I think that, um, that will be at all time highs. It, if I really think that it depends on the Fed meeting and this Evergrande situation. Um, if no news comes out on Evergrande, I actually think that that's bullish. Um, you know, make yeah, it 24 hour news cycle. Forget about it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Until it comes up, like you know, let's say April or something. Um, Not a then, problem until then. Fe- yeah. Exactly. And then with the Fed, I really think that it's just because the Fed sold all of their stock, you know, the Fed employees sold all their stock all at the same time that this Fed meeting is coming. And people for the last 16 months have been saying that during this fall is when, you know, we should start to look at raising interest rates. Um, so I really think that it's just, it's, it's really just like a timing thing. Um, but I really don't think that we're at a point to where they would raise interest rates. Uh, you know, inflation really hasn't gone up too much to the point to where it's like scary. Okay, my mom just texted me and said she sold all her Schwab. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, I, after she doubled it, I've been insisting that she sell it, you know, and fucking, you know, and because she's been wanting to, you know, get into. You said some- she took that from like 50 grand to 90 grand, right? Well, over the course of 20 years, it was probably down to like three grand back in 2000. So, you know, diamond hands will get you somewhere. But no, hey, I, I, yeah, three grand to 90 grand is not that bad. Yeah. So now <laughs> I just have to, you know, finally open her TD account. But I'll get, yeah. you know, she's been begging me for a while. Do it for your Target parents. date Roth. Target <laughs> date Roth. Does mom and I have a Roth? Uh, probably not. Um, I don't know, though. I think she's probably a 401k gal. <laughs> the pharmacist always the 401 kers yeah but uh 
So I guess, um, so you're expecting this kind of bullish market. Are you expect? And I know you even mentioned last week about penny stocks. Uh, you saw they'd continue being hot. Um, you saw some obviously take some big dips yesterday, as you know they will. Um, <clears throat> but even on some like CEI today, coming back strong, even ended the day strong. Uh, Power Hour was the the hot time on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still think that, I mean, when you look at some of these stocks, they've just gotten absolutely killed over the last few months. And I really think that we're going to have a pretty good rally into the end of the year. If you guys remember last year, it was kind of a similar situation to where it was tough. I mean, it was tough. In, um, uh, it was tough during September, and then it was like October. I mean, you remember SPAC? What was it, SPAC and Fisker and all that? It, when when Fisker was SPAC, it got killed from like 16 to 8, and then it was going like 8 to 20. Um, so I really think that we're kind of setting up the same kind of way. I don't know if it'll be as hot because SPACs were, were kind of a different beast, but... I think that we're setting up for a really high. I think weed is going to be super hot into the end of the year. Uh, maybe maybe not right away, but mid-October, mid-November, uh, maybe mid-October, late October, into the end of the year. I mean, I think weed goes on a pretty big run. And just in general, most of these you know, bios out there, there's there's a lot of bios trading at 50% of where they were. And uh, not much from a catalyst standpoint has changed. Um, and you're seeing some pretty... Pretty good accumulation around around some of these bio names and and if bio is always the first to go because remember when we're talking about penny stocks and we're talking about small caps uh speculative speculative investments get hit the hardest first and inside those speculative investments what gets hit the hardest of the speculative investments is the most speculative which is going to be your bios because again it's highest risk highest reward so most of them have been killed but when we see a rally, those are the first ones to rally, and they rally the hardest. So I think it's going to go from like bios to you know maybe weeds and EVs into the end of the year, and I think that like we're just going to see a pretty nice small cap rally across. I mean, like I'm I'm looking at some of these some of these market caps, and these market caps that were three, four, five hundred million are now like eighty million. Yeah, we could put some Atlas guys together and buy buy some of these companies. So I, I really think that. You know, it's good to be safe than sorry. It's good to be safer than sorry, but to be ready because the end of the year probably gets pretty hot. We've seen some pretty good intraday runners. What I would love to see is that I would love sector sector rotations and sector runs because that's when you can play sympathies on sympathies and that's when you can just sit back and you know put put a put 10% of your account across the board and just let them go like that's that's really my favorite kind of trading and that's what I think we're getting set up to do because these things have just been killed do you think the bios are they just rallying the fastest the hardest in the first because they're the most beaten down or just because people are excited to get back in them whenever they sold the first time yeah i mean i i, I always in my, in my experience from what i've learned is that they always run the f run first because they were the most beaten down um and it just comes back to you know they're the they're the highest risk, highest reward most of the time. So when uh, small caps get killed, they get killed the the worst. When small caps start to run, they go the furthest because most of the time they're they're beaten down. I mean I'm looking at I'm looking at some of these small caps and I mean they're they're literally down like 60, 65 percent. 
um, inside the last few months, which is, and, and nothing really has changed too much for the catalyst. So, you know, it's those ones that, that, you know, don't have any dilution waiting, high cash trading, especially if they're trading underneath cash per share, you know, let's just say the cash per share is like a dollar 30. Um, and it's trading at a dollar. I mean, that's, that's pretty good risk to reward if you can find a decent catalyst and a need for the market. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So, um, and you're, you're good at this, so I think it'd be a good way to kind of end the episode. It would be, <clears throat> let's say you, you just heard what you said. You want to find the stock with the good catalyst, with you know, the good cash per share. So first things first is finding the cash per share. Like where should they go look for that? And then I guess following it up, we'll find out how exactly we'll, we'll find a catalyst potentially. Yeah. I mean, I love FinBiz and I was actually having this uh, conversation with, uh, and with fin, uh, FinBiz Keaton. for anyone that doesn't know is, is a website and it's the one where everyone always has those big, if the market's red, they have the picture where everything's red on it and one thing's green. That, that's where that's what FinViz is. That's where everyone gets it all. If F I N V I Z dot com. Yeah. So I was having this conversation with uh, Mr. Carp Morris on Twitter, and the best way that I like to do it. So I actually don't mind stocks inside a downtrend, especially if I can put a timeline to the catalyst. So let's just say that something has a merger by end of Q3, and they have two dollars of cash cash per share and it's basically grinded from three dollars down to a dollar fifty and i know that they have a merger by the end of q3 that gives us really good risk reward because we can put a timeline together we know that it's trading underneath cash and as long as the share structure isn't too crappy for the merger we know you know pretty much where it should go on approval of the merger so then you know you can, the biggest thing with with stocks is mitigating risk okay so what's your risk the merger doesn't get approved okay so then what what's our cash per share boom it's already trading underneath cash per share that gives us a really good risk to reward because you're already trading lower than what your risk is or what it's supposed to be in in theory so now you can say, all right, if this is the share structure, what will it be trading at if approved? That, I mean, that's a slam dunk, okay? And then you have to look, and then of course, you know, you read through the merger and find out if there's, what's the chances of an offering, how much cash they have. Yeah, they, 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 there's, there's risk, of course. But again, I love things inside a downtrend or that have just gotten beaten up, a catalyst with a timeline, a catalyst that is a need for the market or a catalyst that is fundamentally going to change the company and um, a hot sector. So like I said, weed, uh, bios, 
you know, those are all sectors that if small caps start to go or a wheat bill comes through, you know, that entire sector is going to go. So I, especially something with, with a lot of sympathies, you know, those sectors love to go. That, that's really where I like to make my bread and butter because <clears throat> if I know that bios are hot, I can find three bios trading underneath cash with a semi-good catalyst and I can just, you know, throw 5, 10, 15% of my account into each of them. And if one goes, it's one of those, it's like that saying that the tide lifts all boats. If one of them goes, they're all going to go. And then, and then, you know, somebody else finds the catalyst and it just starts off like this really nice runner where it's like a nice fluid 20, 30, 40%. And it's uh, most of the time risk-free, stress-free. And then once, once it starts trading closer to cash, then you can take some off, you know, you've made your 30%. So that's what I personally love. And you can do all of that on Finviz. So would you say, you know, it could be as simple as, and I mean, you without even using Finviz, I mean, you can just Google uh, Wolf uh, cash per share and it'll come up with a balance sheet. It'll say just about everything you need, total debt, current ratio, total, uh, total cash, total cash per share. And um, yeah, so it'll, it'll basically give you a little rundown of the balance sheet right there. Would you say it can be as simple as, let's say you like the whole thing, weed and EVs. You think weed and EVs are going to be hot in November. You make a list of all your weed stocks, all your EV stocks, and you put their cash per share. And then, you know, you wait till it gets around there or under there. Uh, is, could, you, could you just do that? And how far under the cash per share would you want it? Because, I mean, it, could it be trading around cash per share? Yeah, yeah, especially if I really like the catalyst. Like, I, I keep using the example of merger, but if I really think that this merger has a good share structure, that it makes sense for both companies, nobody's getting screwed or the short end of the stick, and it's trading near cash per share, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a no-brainer to me because, again, what's my risk? Fine, cash per share. You know, like, that's my risk. So if it's, even if it's trading 10% above, fine, I'm risking 10%, but if it's approved, it's going to go, what, a hundred percent. Yeah. I'll take 10 to one anytime. If anytime that I can sit there and say that my risk to reward is five to one, I'm taking that trade 10 out of 10 times. But why are you, how can you guarantee yourself that it's not going to go below cash per share? And is are you just making that your stop loss? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm making my stop loss. You definitely can't, you'll never be able to say like, like it'll never go underneath cash, but that's just a really good, uh, baseline for what, what, what it should be trading at. So if I'm expecting the merger to be approved and if the merger is approved, it's worth $5 per share and it's trading at $1 per share and the cash per share is $1.50, then I already know that it's trading at a discount right now, even if it's not approved. And then if it does get approved, then great. You know, then, then I'm making, because you even, know, then I'm even making, priced in, it should be around two twenty five or so. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's what I mean is that, and, and again, you're never not, you're never going to mitigate all risk uh, unless you're insider trading, which, you know, I mean, you mean all reward. I, yeah. 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 So I, yeah. So you're never going to mitigate and all risk, but with something trading close to cash per share with a good catalyst and that catalyst is on a vote or that catalyst, you know, is just time, time waiting, you know, I mean, that's really good risk to reward. And that's what I love. You know, like I said, five to one risk to reward. I'll take that any day of the week. All right, guys. So uh, I think that should cover it. Um, hopefully that should clear up anything on finding some stocks uh, based on their cash per shares and, you know, little summing up some balance reports, knowing what SPA is going to do and what it just did and Ariana Grande or Evergrande or Holy whatever the hell shit. it was. What's going on?
Disney just said, Disney CEO just said dividend won't return until pandemic ends. Oh, that's pretty bad for them, huh? Yeah. Wait, let me see what it's doing while we're just, while we're just chilling on here. Holy fuck. Disney's down 4%. Disney's getting killed. Uh, okay. <clears throat> for, for while we're, while we're still on the episode here, if Disney gets below 160, I'm buying it. It's a no brainer buy. Um, listen, wow. Disney is literally getting walloped as we're speaking right now. So just from a chart perspective, 167 is uh, support on Disney. Uh, I mean, it, this thing was trading at 200 not too long ago. Uh, I mean, Disney anywhere near 150 is a hold for your kids. Um, it, it's a no brainer. Uh, I mean, yeah, so it sounds the Mandalorian. like people love that shit. <laughs> Baby Yoda. I mean, it sounds like Disney pretty much. It, it sounds like uh, the CEO I mean, who's basically... to say the pandemic's over, you know? I mean, you ask fucking like Donald Trump, he's, you know, never started. You ask fucking other people, you know, it's, it's fucking, it's June 2020 still. What pandemic? <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, listen, just for, just for our listeners, you know, this is one of those where you can put your parents in. If, if Disney comes close to 150 off this news um, within the next few days or even the next few weeks, if it comes close to 150, you can put your parents in, you can put your kids in, uh, and it'll be a generational hold. It's a no-brainer. It, with, their, with what they're doing, it, it, they've moved away from the theme parks. The theme parks are still a really good revenue generator, but the innovation that Disney has done overall, we talked about it in Reno a little bit, so so sorry if my Reno homies are hearing this again, but um, what they're doing, you know, they have so much cash uh, that it's kind of like Amazon and Apple that they can just move into whatever space they want. I wouldn't be shocked if Disney moved into VR space, you know, and then 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 it's like I wouldn't be shocked if Disney started creating like their own, you know, TV stations, hey, stuff like that. Like, Disney is probably one of the first people that ever really did VR shit because, you know, you go to Disney and you fucking probably had those big ass things. I don't know. I haven't gone to Disney in forever, but... No, but that's what I mean, is that they moved away from the theme parks and everything, So, uh, and they're just innovating in technology. Look at Tesla. Tesla's a technology stock. If Disney it starts being categorized as a technology stock, I mean, this will be trading at five, $600 a share, no problem. So if it comes down to that 150 level, I'll be there. My parents will be there. My sister will be there. We'll be buying there. Yeah, uh, one, that's a one, generational hold. One thing it, I always it, really liked that uh, BSS said, buy, sell, short, he'd always mention... Uh, the same people that say Tesla is a car company are the same people that said Apple is a computer company. Yeah, yeah, no, I love that. And that, that's what I mean is that Disney's innovating, they're an innovating company. And if you think that the, that the well, like what, what, you're not gonna have a dividend for a year or two? Okay, fine, like that's nothing. That, that's, that, that, I'd rather take the cheap shares $20 cheaper than have the dividend anyway. Give it to me cheaper. It's a generational hold. What do you think about dividends? I mean, like, obviously dividends are, like, nice and all, but, you know, some things like UWMC, if it had a 40-cent dividend, let's say it dips to four, I mean, aren't you basically getting a guaranteed 10% return on your investment every year whenever the dividend hits? Uh, I mean, so for me, like, I don't... Okay, Warren Buffett makes, like, $800 million a year off of dividends, but that's because he's risking... Yeah, a stupid amount of money. But he has so much money that as long as he just makes that dividend, it doesn't matter. 
for me, I'm not, I don't have enough money to just be like, oh, you know what, like the dividend's fine. Like that's more than enough money to live on. So to me, the dividend is, the dividend, the dividend is less about the amount and what it tells to me about the healthiness of the company fundamentally. That's, that's what's way more important to me is that, okay, if they can give me a 40 cent dividend, and if they increase it, you know, let's call it every five years, that's what that tells me is that that company is growing, that company knows how to handle their cash flow, you know, they, they know what that the company is healthy. I really, I rarely care if the dividend's 30 cents, 40 cents. What I care way more about is the healthiness of the company. Gotcha. And what it signals to me. All right, guys, well, there's an extra five free minutes of pennies going in raw on top of your first 32 free minutes. So, uh, Hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see you on Sunday. And I think we actually have the the Reno episode coming out soon if uh, if our if our little editors can are hard at work at the <laughs> North Pole. All right, guys, uh, thanks for listening. Five stars, like, subscribe. Nice to us on Twitter, etc. Love y'all. Bye. Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 